Good morning, Sound Life Church. How are you doing today? Were you too hot this week? It wasn't as bad as the last time around, was it? But it's good to be here in the house of the Lord, and we are in a series entitled Powerful Prayers and How to Pray Them. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about that. I want you to turn to the book of James, chapter 5. You know, prayer is one of those things people say, well, how does it work? How does it work? What's the formula? How do, you, how do you plug this in? Well, there is no formula. It, re- it really isn't. The Bible talks about certain principles. It talks about certain protocols that we should do. But there is no plug and play. There is no, if you do this, 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 and this, you're going to get this, 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 and this. It's a, it's a conversation with God. It is a moment in time and maybe an extended moment in time where you dialogue and you pour out your heart and you are transparent and authentic with God. And the powerful prayers are not the most beautiful prayers. The most powerful prayers are not the most eloquent prayers. The most powerful prayers are the ones that come from the depths of your heart and extend to a loving, gracious Father who cares deeply about you and your circumstance and your situation. And he sees the entire picture, not just the moment you're in, not just the fix you're in, not just the problem you're in. He sees the arc of your life. He sees the impact of your life. He sees all of the landscape of your circumstance. And within that context of faith, belief, trust, request, he engages you in a very powerful way. So this morning, James is going to help us because... As he ends his letter, he gives us a lesson in power and protocol of prayer. You know, there are sometimes we feel that we are helpless or hopeless. And even if there's a sense of powerlessness in our circumstance, even when we're in difficulty, he tells us to be encouraged. And Pastor Caleb said this along the way as we began this series. Prayer is the most powerful and effective weapon we possess. We have access to communication with the almighty sovereign of the universe. And he cares about us and he wants to engage with us on a granular level. Within the nitty gritty of our life. Not just on the scope of world problems. And so, if we learn how to pray, if we understand the power of prayer and the protocols, then we will pray. And that's what I want to talk to you about. Pray. Call on God. Ask for His help and intervention. Now, the question is, when should we do it? When should we do it? And that's what James talks to us about. First of all, in James chapter 5, beginning in verse uh, 13, it says, When you face difficulties, 
Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. So that tells me when life is difficult, when I'm facing circumstances that are harsh, I need to cry out to God. I need to be transparent enough to say, you know, I don't got this. Too often we think we need to solve all of our problems. That we need to, to be able to, to get ourselves out of the trouble we got ourselves in. Any of you who have children understand there, there are times when your kids get in, in jackpots they can't get out of. And you need to, remember the first car accident you had after you got your driver's license? Who'd you call? Dad! <laughs> I need a ride! Who do I call? What's a, what? You call the insurance agent? I thought you called the cops. Well, maybe you should. <laughs> but you cry out. You say, help me, help me, help me. Well, he's our heavenly father. God is the most loving and, and gracious heavenly father. When we are facing hardship. Now understand, you're going to face hardship. All of us, there's going to be times that are tough. And we've experienced some of that in the last while. And, and we will continue. There may be wonderful moments in your life where everything's going perfect and, and everything seems to be working well. But there will be moments when there's hardship and difficulty. So James says, when, life, when life's difficult, pray. Pray. Now, now here's, here's what we need to do, is we need to understand that prayer is not just there for the moments we have problems. Prayer and communication with God is something that needs to be ongoing. And that's the second part of this, verse 13. When life is good, praise. And so, isn't that singing? No, praise is offering your thanksgiving to God. He says, are any of you happy? You should sing praises from your heart, from your lips. Give God credit. Be thankful. How often have things been going really well for you? And you attributed it to your wise decision making. Or you took the credit for the circumstance you found yourself in. When you really think about it, how often has God come in and shaped the circumstances of your life in such a way that things were as they should be in the moment you needed them to be? You know, people have looked at our situation and circumstance we, we downsized our house six years ago. The opportunity came available to buy the condo right next door to my mom and dad. We share the same wall. And so we did it. We weren't prepared to do it. We, we hadn't decided to downsize yet. But we had the opportunity and God spoke to our hearts. said, this is an opportunity. You have a choice to do it. So about five, six years ago, we bought 
the property on the other side of the wall from my parents. And we redid it. And three months later, we moved in. And we had two houses for a while. And we, God helped us rent the other one out. And, but within months, my father had a fall. Major traumatic head injury. Within two years, he died. My mother's living alone. And people say, oh, how fortunate that you're living right next door to your mother. No, it's not fortunate. It was the grace and the mercy of God. And in his sovereignty, he directed us. And you know what? I thank God. I really thank God for what I paid for it, because that was a long time ago, and it, it's looking good today. But that's the kind of stuff you praise God for. You say, thank you, Lord. You don't say, wow, I, that was really smart of me. It wasn't smart at all. I had no clue. But God was faithful. And we give him praise for things like that. Moments in your life where... where where the circumstances come together in such a way, you say, God is good. And we give him praise and we honor him for what he's done. And when we praise him, others can be blessed because they understand, hey, is that how that works? Yeah, that's how it works. God does good things and we thank him for it. He goes on to say you should pray when you are ill. Call on people of faith and experience. Verses 14 and 15. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Sometimes the illnesses we have are the result of the decisions we've made. And we need to deal with those as well. But here, here's what we need to understand about that. When, when you're not well, don't be hesitant or afraid to call for people of faith to pray for you. You say, well, what will people think? Who cares? Who cares? Well, I don't want people to know everything about what's going on. Okay, well, deal with it yourself then. Now, there, there's, there's this power of faith as the body of Christ joins together in focused prayer, and God hears and answers. God is available to meet us, even in our sickness. You see, there is a power in the combining of faith. God calls us together as a body. He says, where two or three are standing in agreement, there I am in the midst of them. He, he loves it when his people agree in his name. And when people agree in his name, God does powerful things. And there are moments, especially when we're sick, where we don't have a lot of faith for ourselves. You know, one, one of the things that happens is you're, you're so busy fighting off the illness that you don't feel a lot of faith. You're, you're challenged. That's when you need the faith of others to stand with you and believe God with you. And that's one of the things that we do as a church. We have people praying, people of faith praying. And if you go to the website or you call into the office, we will put people of prayer 
to work on your situation and circumstances. That's why we have prayer and services. That's, that's why we agree together. Because there is this powerful thing that happens when the people of God agree in faith. And what is faith? It's the confident trust in God that he will do what he has promised. So here's the question. If that's the way it is, Pastor, why doesn't everybody get healed? It's a fair question. Let me talk to you a little bit about the tension that rests here. Divine healing rests in the tension between God's word, his promises, and his sovereignty. Okay? God is much bigger than we could ever understand. And we, we see little bits and pieces. And we, and, and we, we read a, a verse like that and we say, well, that means God, if we get some people together and we pray, everybody's going to be healed. But the sovereignty of God sees a bigger picture. It's been said often, and it's true. God is more interested in our character than our comfort. What is God doing in your life? And what is he doing in your circumstance? And, and how is your life affecting those around you? You see... We hear God heals and answers prayer. But the other question is, what is God's will and purpose in this situation? What will bring him glory and point people to Christ? Not just my personal desires, not just my personal comfort. You see, true faith submits to God's will in any and every circumstance because he sees the greater picture. And that's what you've got to be willing to do. There are moments when the suffering believer is a greater testimony than the healed believer. There are moments when the eloquence of your life dealing with difficult circumstances is greater then if everything just turned perfect. You read about healings in the Bible. People forget about them. God does these miraculous things, and people forget. You know, one of the greatest moments was when Mary and Martha called to Jesus, Come, my brother's sick. And Jesus waited. And Lazarus died. And what was their first response? If you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. You're right. But because it happened, now something even greater is going to happen. And he said, roll the stone away. And he spoke into that tomb of death and stench. And said, Lazarus, get out of there. And Lazarus came hopping out. 
how, how do you know he hopped out, Pastor? Because you've got to understand how they put the grave clothes on. They wound them around. I'm coming. <laughs> what brings glory to God? Lord, I'm willing to do anything but suffer. Call me to Africa. But don't call me to have COVID. Ooh. What, what is God doing in and through your life? So that's the tension. And, and I don't have a problem if God doesn't heal me when I pray. Because I ask the question is, God, what are you doing in a bigger way? Now, more often than not, God heals. And, and here's one of the other ways he heals. He keeps you healthy. God has been so good to Tina and I. Because he has kept us healthy. That is part of obedience. And God does that. So when you're ill, call on people of faith to pray. Always do that. And always believe God for healing. But be willing to say, Lord, if there's a greater purpose, I'm okay with that. Here's another. Pray to confess your sin and failures. Healing is not just limited to the physical. Now, here's the one thing I want you to understand. God always answers this prayer. If you ask for forgiveness of sin, God always says yes. He says yes. If your heart is truly repentant. James 5, 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Sin has effect. It's corrosive. Your spirit and soul need healing just as much as your body. In fact, even more. But proper confession is essential. You need to confess. You need to own your stuff. Because that's what sin is. It's stuff. It's junk. you got to own your stuff. You can't say, well, that's somebody else's stuff. That's my mama's stuff. That's my daddy's stuff. That's my history. That's, that, that's my upbringing. No, that's me. And when we confess our sin, the Bible tells us, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But I've got to own it. I've got to say it's mine. You need that healing. Now, here's the scary part. It says confess one to another. Pastor, that's tough. Well, in Bible school, I learned a very important truth. A great theologian, probably in his mid-80s, came and spent a week with us at Northwest University. His name was J. Edwin Orr. J. Edwin Orr not only was a great theologian, he was a hymn writer. He wrote the hymn, Search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me, O Savior. Know my thoughts, I pray. See if there be any wicked, any wicked way in me. Search me from every sin and set me free. And he said this, and I will never forget it. A little white-haired old man who hardly stood above the pulpit. He said this. There is a circle of confession. And the circle of confession should be no more or no less than the circle of your sin. 
Okay, let's unpack that a little bit. The circle of your confession, the people you confess to, should be no more or no less than the circle of your sin. There are sins in your life you sin against God, and that's the circle of confession. There are sins in your life where you sin against those who are closest to you. You have failed them, and, and, and you have not been faithful, or, or there's something, and you need to confess to them. There are times, especially in leadership, where there's failure of a leader, and it affects the entire body, and the circle of confession needs to include all of that. But the fact is, you have to limit that confession to the people who are affected by it. Less than the circle is incomplete. If you have sinned against someone and you confess to God, but you don't confess to them, that's going to leave remaining bitterness and anger and mistrust. You need to get your heart right with God and with them. You say, well, it's hard. Well, you shouldn't have done it then. I don't want to confess to them. Well, don't do it. But if you want real healing, you've got to complete that circle. Now, on the other hand, if you confess to anybody and everybody, oftentimes it's just gossip. They don't need to know. The question is, who needs to know? So that the circle of forgiveness can be complete. There's a circle of confession and a circle of forgiveness. God completes his circle very quickly. But there are others who need to give you forgiveness. Now, here's the other part of it. If you don't forgive, you've got a whole different set of problems. That person hurt me. I will never forgive them. If that ever comes out of your mouth... You better watch out. Because God has a way of saying, oh, really? Let's see. You really want to say that? People hurt you. I, I've been hurt. I know what it feels like. It's not, it's painful. I'll never trust again. Well, why should God forgive you? If you won't trust, well, I, I trust him, but I don't trust them. Well, do you trust God to help you? Do you trust God to, to protect you? Do you trust God to, to give you grace, to mercy? And... So forgive. So don't ever forget that. The circle of confession of your sin should be no less or no greater than the circle of your sin. So that applies to this verse. So if you've sinned, we're not going to have you come up here and say, okay, tell everybody your sin. If leadership sins, it is proper and right to make that confession in a public state, in a public manner. 
That's one of the weights of leadership. You okay with that? Okay. Let's move on. You should pray because it's powerful. A prayer offered correctly is powerful. And, and in James chapter 5, verses six, in the second half of verse 16, he lays out the elements of a powerful prayer. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Now, there's an awful lot in that statement. I want us to look at it, okay? The earnest, that means sincere. A sincere trust in God, believing, faith-filled, not just going through the motions. Well, I should pray, so I'm going to pray. I don't know whether it's going to happen or not. I don't know. Yeah. No. An earnest prayer. A prayer that believes that God is able and willing to hear and answer prayer. Who can do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. That's an earnest prayer. God, I need you. I, I appeal to you. I, I engage you in this circumstance, in this situation. An earnest prayer. Not just going through, well, I just need to pray. Well, I ought to do that because I'm a Christian. Well, the pastor says I should. No. You get serious. Earnestly, sincerely. God, I beseech you to meet me. Of a righteous person. What does righteous mean? It means we are right standing with God. And, and we are modeling faith in that moment. Can you expect God to reward disobedience? Do you reward your children when they're disobedient? Well, if you do, you got more problems than what you think. God rewards obedience. And I need to live in right standing before God. I'm in position. I'm in position for him to hear me. I, I, I have come into his presence. He hasn't chased me. I've pursued him. And I, I'm aligning my life with his values. I'm aligning my life with his word. I'm aligning my life with obedience and finances. I'm aligning my life in attitudes towards people. I have forgiven those who need to be forgiven. I have asked forgiveness for myself. I have aligned myself in position for God to hear and to answer prayer. The earnest, sincere prayer of a righteous person. Is powerful. What is power? It's influence. It's access. And understand this. It's God's power, not ours. Somehow, there are those who believe that if you have a certain formula and you say the right words, you can back God into a corner and you are leveraging him to do what you want him to do. Let me tell you something about God. He doesn't get played. 
God says, I'm not going to be mocked. If you think you can press God into a corner by doing all this, 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 you've missed the point. This comes out of this wonderful relationship you have with God. And then he intervenes in your circumstance because he loves you. And he knows what's best for you. Sometimes what's best for you is no. Children don't believe that no is an answer. Parents believe it's an absolutely valid answer. No. But, 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 no. There are times we ask for things that aren't the best for us. But when we ask in accordance to his will, it is powerful. And God's power is available to us. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power. And this is what I like. It produces wonderful results. Results. The results are there because God is responsive. He's responsive to us. God acts on our behalf. And we are moved because we sense his presence in our life. We sense him at work within us. He directs us. He guides us. You know, unbelievers don't understand that. When we say, God, God told me, God directed me. Well, did, did you hear this voice? No. There was a quiet voice within you. How many times have you made decisions, and in the moment, you sensed it was from God, but you didn't know, and you made the decision, and later on you go, wow, that was a God thing. That, that, that was God at work on my behalf. And that small decision change the entire arc of your life. Those are the moments when we see powerful results. God does powerful things in and through his people. And, and I love that verse. Remember this one. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. That's the essence of what James is trying to get across to us. Be authentic. Be earnest. Be in right standing with God. Understand the power of God at work in you is immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. And it produces wonderful results. And then he gives us an example. Elijah is an example. Verses 17 and 18. Elijah was as human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Now, that's just one example. The Bible is full of a myriad of others. But it's not just the Bible. As I look across this room, as I know who's sitting in traditions and at Ording Valley, as I know some of the people who are online this morning, 
I know some of your stories. I, I've been walking with you for over 21 years. There are some great stories and examples of answered prayer. Healings. Restoration. Lives being put back together that were just a mess. Marriages healed. Kids coming back to God. There are things that God has done for us in the area of finances. The way he's met us again and again and again. Tell your story. Give a testimony. What's a testimony? It's testifying to what has happened. It's not pride because you didn't do it. God did it. Be an example of faith. Be an example of what God can do when, when we are attuned to him and his spirit. When we pray, share your story because that builds faith in others. If there's anything I pray for this church, I pray that it would be full of faith. Not that everything would go well for you. I've never prayed that everything would go well for this church. Why? Because some of the best lessons we ever learn are in difficulty, not ease. I pray that you would be an example of faith and trust in God. And that he would bring to bear what is needed in your life and the life of this church. And you would see God at work and you would be a, a witness a witness to what God does and how faith makes a difference. And then this final, this final postscript. Restore wonders gently because life flows from true repentance. Not just confession. We confess our sins, but repentance is different. James 5, 19-20. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the faith and truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings a sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about forgiveness of many sins. Confession is the acknowledgement of belief. Repentance is to stop and turn and go the other way. You can confess all you want, but if you never repent... You never change. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. How many times have our kids said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And you know deep in their heart, they're not one bit sorry. They're just sorry they got caught. I know that to be true. I was just sorry when I got caught. But true repentance means that I stop doing what I'm doing. I turn from it, and I go the other way. My life is transformed. My life is changed. Because that's what God really wants for us. It's more important for us to be right with God than to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Okay? The most important thing in life is you to be right with God. You can be healthy and go to hell. 
You can have lots of money and have all the creature comforts and not have eternity secure. You can have multiple degrees, but you've missed the essence of what truth is. This is the moment to understand that God wants us to be shaped into his image. And when we pray, that's part of the process of doing it. We confess. We ask God for forgiveness. And then we turn and live in that forgiveness. And lives are changed. How many of you seen an Auntie Anne's in a, in a mall someplace? The pretzels. Okay. I know Auntie Ann. Her name's Ann Byler. She's from Pennsylvania. She started her company with a family recipe. She made, they, they, they were kind of, her husband was a counselor and they weren't making a lot of money. So she said, I'm going to get a side gig. And so she started making pretzels and selling them at fairs around the area in Pennsylvania. Well, needless to say, the side gig did pretty well. And she's a wonderful Christian. She's got a brother who's one of the head missionaries in the Assemblies of God. He oversees the entire European field. His name's Omar. But I was in a, I was in a situation where we were with Anne we were sitting at a table one night, and, and she just said something that I'll never forget. She said, too many people believe life is good and God is harsh. She said, but you know what's really true? It's the other way around. God is good, and life is hard. And what we need to do is learn to trust God and pray. Because when we pray, we lean in to the goodness and the grace of God. And he helps us when life is hard. And life is hard. It's not easy. And God knows it more than you do. And he wants to help you if you will learn to pray. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Lord, we thank you that you have given us access to yourself. You have helped us. And we understand that we can pray. And that the earnest prayer of a righteous person is powerful. And it has great results. God, help us to lean into you and trust you in ways that we have not in the past. And Lord, as we trust you, may our prayers become more and more powerful as we become more intimate and close with you and live in obedience that allows you to pour your life and grace through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.